0: Welcome to Let's Talk FCA, and Moran's podcast bringing you the latest developments with the False Claims Act. I'm Jason Crawford, and I'm joined today by co-host Augustine Orozco and special guest Aaron Rankin. As we enter the new year and think about areas of FCA enforcement in 2024, we thought it might be helpful to take a look back at one of the more noteworthy settlements in 2023, the $377 million settlement by Booz Allen Hamilton to resolve allegations that it violated the False Claims Act, by improperly billing commercial and international cost to its government contracts. I want to start off by introducing Erin Rankin. Erin is a partner in Kroll's Government Contracts Practice Group where she handles government contract disputes with a particular focus on cost-counting issues. She has extensive experience representing government contractors before the boards of contract appeals, defending companies against false claims act allegations and conducting internal investigations. Welcome to the podcast, Erin. Do you want to kick things off by providing the listening audience with an overview of the settlement?
1: Thanks, Jason. It's good to be here. In July of 2023, the Department of Justice announced uh, the agreement with the contractor to resolve allegations arising out of the company's purported noncompliance with the cost accounting standards or CAS for short, um, among other things. And I have to do a quick plug. If you're interested in learning more about cost accounting and pricing issues, please be on the lookout for new episodes of our podcast, It All Adds Up. So the CAS are a complex set of 19 standards that govern how contractors allocate their costs of doing business to their government contracts. And it's important to remember when we're talking about CAS that they do not prescribe a single uniform accounting system or chart of accounts. Instead, they're often broadly written to allow for multiple compliant practices, which can be tailored to the contractor's unique business and circumstances. And it's for this reason that certain contracts require not only compliance with the standards, but also that the contractor disclose to the government what their practices are. And of course, the contractor must actually follow those disclosed practices. In addition to disclosure and consistently following disclosed practices, One of the key concepts in CAS is the causal or beneficial relationship between the cost incurred and the final cost objective, which is often a government contract. So what do I mean by that? I'm going to oversimplify this for purposes of our discussion because there's a lot of complexities and a lot of nuance. But when we're talking about indirect costs, and this can be costs, for example, for facilities, for IT, costs for supporting functions like accounting, HR, and legal, those indirect costs can only be charged to government contracts in a manner that is reasonably proportionate to the beneficial or causal relationship of those costs to the government contracts. And this is complex, particularly when you have both commercial and government work. So what were the allegations? Well, first of all, it's important to say that the contractor here did not admit any liability, and all of the facts that we're going to talk about today are allegations from the complaint and the settlement agreement. So we don't really know what actually happened or the context or circumstances of the events. But the government alleged that the contractor had been trying to build out its commercial and international operations, and they were doing this organically as opposed to through through acquisitions of other companies. And these efforts had become extraordinarily expensive and had resulted in large losses to the company. So the government alleged that in, in an effort to subsidize these commercial and international efforts. The contractor had commingled costs for these commercial efforts in cost centers that accumulated costs for government contracts. And they did that in order to shift some of the costs from the commercial sector to their USG or government sector. And by shifting these costs, the contractor had allegedly received inflated payments from the government for its government contract work. And like I said earlier, the CAS generally require that indirect costs be charged to government contracts in a manner that is reasonably proportionate to the beneficial or causal relationship of those costs to the government contracts. As part of the covered conduct in the settlement agreement, the DOJ also alleged that between 2011 and 2021, the contractor had charged indirect costs to the government that should have been treated as unallowable costs. And it's not clear what the basis of that allegation is, but it could have resulted from the fact that the costs are unallowable if they are not allocated properly to a government contract. And finally, recall that I said earlier that certain contracts require contractors to disclose to the government what their practices are, and that the contractor must actually follow those disclosed practices. While the DOJ also alleged that the company in this case submitted inaccurate statements, including but not limited to statements in its cast disclosure statements regarding the methods by which it had accounted for and the nature of its indirect costs supporting its commercial and international businesses.
0: Thanks for that overview. Before we take a closer look at some of the specific allegations that were set forth in the amended complaint, I think it's worth briefly discussing the timeline of the investigation, because this one morphed into a parallel criminal civil investigation that lasted several years. And I think that the length of this investigation underscores that there are both reputational and investigation-related costs companies that can go beyond the dollar amount of the actual False Claims Act settlement. Augustine, do you want to walk us through the timeline of the investigation?
2: Happy to, Jason. Uh, So the TAM complaint was filed under seal in federal court in D.C. in September 2016 by a financial analyst that previously worked for the contractor. And as we have discussed on prior podcasts, it's fairly typical for the criminal AUSAs to review civil TAM complaints to assess whether to open a parallel criminal investigation. And we know that happened here at some point because the contractors publicly traded, and in June of 2017, the company disclosed the existence of the civil and criminal investigations in an 8K filing. So soon after revealing these investigations, the company experienced a stock drop, and securities class action suits followed. In November of 2017, the SEC also announced that it was conducting an investigation of its own.
0: So it sounds like it was a long and likely expensive road for the company between the time that the KITAM suit was filed and the time that the FCA settlement agreement was actually signed.
2: Yeah, that's right, Jason. The criminal investigation was closed in May of 2021, but it still took almost two years for the civil FCA resolution to be negotiated.
0: And when the settlement agreement was announced, the press release issued by the U.S. Attorney's Office described it as, quote, one of the largest procurement fraud settlements in history end quote. And so this settlement is a good reminder that even though some of the highest dollar FCA settlements continue to arise from healthcare cases, government contractors can still face significant potential exposure under the FCA. Aaron, as you noted earlier, we don't have visibility into the evidence that the government collected during its investigation that may have influenced the DOJ's intervention decision. But as someone who litigates issues involving the cost accounting standards, Uh, We're curious to hear your thoughts on the allegations in the amended complaint and whether there's anything that jumped out at you.
1: Well, Jason, as I noted previously, the CAS are both very complex, but also quite broad, and they allow for multiple compliant practices depending on the business's circumstances. But this complexity and breadth can result in disagreements with government auditors, and that's typically the Defense Contract Audit Agency or DCAA. And these disagreements are over whether a particular practice is compliant and we have seen cases where these run-of-the-mill disagreements over compliance which really should be resolved under the terms of the contract through the contract disputes act have for various reasons been shoehorned into fraud allegations and sometimes that occurs because a dca auditor or other government official is not satisfied with the contractual resolution or for some reason perhaps believes the contractor acted with malintent. In this case, the complaint alleged that the whistleblower had first raised her concerns internally, but that she was told that the accounting practices were, quote, in a gray zone, and that DCAA was, quote, too stupid or not smart enough to catch them. And she also alleged that a manager had asked her to change the language in a slide deck that she had created in order to brief her senior executives on the problem. And these are alleged actions that could have been how this morphed into allegations of fraud.
2: In that regard, the allegations really are a cautionary tale that a straight comment to a witness or a statement in an email can potentially nudge a dispute over the cost accounting standards into a fraud investigation. It is also a good reminder of the importance of having an internal code of conduct that takes internal complaints seriously. And it is much more difficult to defend a company against fraud allegations if the record suggests that the company ignored the issues when it was raised internally. Well, that is it for this episode. We want to thank Aaron for joining the discussion, and we'll see you next time on Let's Talk FCA.
1: Let's Talk FCA is brought to you by Kroll & Moring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash Let's Talk FCA.